The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Welcome to Hot Talk. It's Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And you know how we start every Friday with the Duff McKagan joke of the week. It's Jericho. Now, it's Duff McKagan calling you. And, uh, you know, we haven't talked for a while. Hope you're well. You know, doing good here. Uh, doing music and, you know, doing what I do. Oh, yeah. You know, you hear about the guy. Uh, he did his uh, testicles in glitter. Yeah. Pretty nuts. Thank you very much. Yeehaw! Pretty nuts. I love it. Duff McKagan never failing to miss uh, calling in a joke every single week. Hilarious, hilarious entertainment from one of the greatest guys I know in rock and roll and in the world, one of my favorite people. Uh, Duff's delivering the goods, as always, and he's delivering on the Tenderness Tour, and they're headed to Europe next month. That's Duff McKagan, Shooter Jennings, and the whole band. They start in Warsaw, Poland on August 22nd. Then they hit Germany, Ireland, France, Switzerland, and then they come back to do a fall tour of the United States starting September 25th in Charlotte, North Carolina. Get your tickets at DuffOnline.com. Okay. Also, get your tickets to the Bill Murray stories, Life Lessons Learned from a Mythical Man, a great new documentary. It's on Netflix, done by my buddy uh, Tommy Avalone. Uh, it tells the story of a random, spontaneous interactions that people have had with Bill Murray over the years. All the crazy urban legend type things Bill has done that is actually true. Uh, stuff like crashing someone's wedding, showing up to someone else's house to wash their dishes, playing in a college house party band. A lot of great stuff. Uh, I got a couple great Bill Murray stories of my own to share. Uh, Tommy's also going to talk about making the documentary uh, The Strange Accessibility of uh, Bill Murray. Also, uh, the doc he made a few years ago, I Am Santa Claus with Mick Foley. And he gives us a sneak peek at his upcoming film, Waldo on Weed, produced by Whoopi Goldberg. It's actually going to surprise you. It's not what you think. But I'll let Tommy explain it all to you. It's time for the Bill Murray stories right here on Talk is Jericho. Okay, so um, it's interesting how it's a small world in that uh, I've been working on a documentary. I talked to my manager, Barry. He said he manages... Tommy Avalone, yes. who we met in, where were we, Lancaster, Pennsylvania? Yeah, yeah somewhere in like, somewhere like Hershey, Allentown. Something sort of, like that, yeah. at, a, at a venue. I remember yeah. Fozzie was on tour with Saxon, you came yeah. to talk because I had an idea of doing a documentary. Well, even about, before that, it was, well, with I Am Santa Claus, I did with Mick Foley. Right. And you and CM Punk signed some of our 8x10s for our That's Kickstarter. That's what it was, mm -hmm. right. Yeah, it's a documentary you made about real life Santas. Yes. 
um, which was really well done. Thank you. And I had an idea of doing a documentary about Black Friday people. Yeah. The people that waited in line for like a couple of days beforehand to get in a fight over a, you know, $400 TV. But then with the advent of Amazon and online yeah. shopping, there's really no more Black Friday people anymore. I think when we started talking about it, it was like really like the cusp of it just like dying down, yeah. you know? And it's just like every year, because we looked into it, there was these two people in Ohio that were still like neck to neck would be number one or number three online and they would wait a whole week. But it just wasn't, it the, just, yeah, it's it, not the same. That would be like a, doing a documentary about the yellow pages. Yeah. <laughs> we had, we had yeah. our time, kid, and we let it go. Yeah. But just to talk about this is Santa Claus again, just as, as a brief catch up. That was a movie where you actually talked to three. It was five Santas. Five, and these are people that like are super into Santa. Like every year their life is for Christmas. Yeah. They look like Santa all year round. Uh, and the professional Santas, whether it's uh, like private parties or, or mall Santas, and they they bleach their hair white. They're you know somewhere around three hundred pounds. Uh, and Mick Foley had grown a big beard out for right. that year. So we followed like four Santas, and then Mick was the fifth. He was like the rookie Santa, where he's like always thought about being Santa, but never like full time. And he bleached his beard uh, white and became Santa, and he hasn't looked back. That's right. Yeah, he has yep. his um, associate's degree, math, some sort of degree in Santa Clausology right now. What the hell is that? Yeah, well, it's a made-up thing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like speaking Klingon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But what, what was your, um, was that your first documentary? It was, yeah. So what was your mindset into getting into documentary filmmaking? So like we, I always wanted to be Kevin Smith. You know, like I was, I wanted to make Clerks. Like that was kind of my, my thing. And we had, I had produced a couple scripted movies, one of which Kevin put out. Which one? Um, it was called uh, Miss December. It was like he was a Kevin Smith Presents. Gotcha. You know? um, Gilbert Godfrey's in it for like five minutes. <laughs> uh, but uh, so that was always what I want to do. I want to do scripted movies, but I had this idea for uh, a documentary about Santa Claus. And one thing led to another and I, I met Morgan Spurlock and I told him about the idea and he's like, well, that's a good idea. And we kind of like kept in touch and I just kind of moved forward and thought this was something I wanted to do. And, and at the time, I really wasn't the best director as far as actors like I couldn't like tell someone what to do that was in my head to like to, for them to perform it but I was really good at putting together docs like I edit them and I, I, I'm directing them as well so it just kind of came out that I thought I was a lot better at this version of it mm -hmm. than opposed to being the Kevin Smith you know well like I said from working on the documentary that I've, that I've been with the, the guy the guy directing this guy called Nathan Mowry who did all the Fozzie videos mm -hmm. you've seen Judas or Painless and mm -hmm. um, you know I had the idea of 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 doing this and then he went and filmed it and then pieced it together, edited it together, you know, then we started working on the cut, but there's such a talent to it. You're very good at it as well of the pacing and the comedic timing and, and when to switch a shot, when to add a little uh, additional shot and telling the stories of the people. I mean, there's, there's a real trick to it. And, you know, and I think as a wrestler too, like you guys are good at Cause like when we were doing I am Santa Claus, like Mick would come over to my house and he, it was almost like he was putting a promo together. He's like, that's your go home. Or, you know, like mm -hmm. there was a certain part in Santa where one Santa was, had this really, really nice gig. It was like right at the Grove or Americana in California. And the other one's in this like dirty apartment in Minnesota. And he's like, we should put them back to, like back to back so you can see the comparison. He's like, Santa Bob right here, he makes his heel turn right here. You know, and like, <laughs> or like when Santa, like Rob Figley was saying something, he's like, oh, he's like, that's your go home moment. Like he would like, Help me, but talk and wrestler like mm -hmm. wrestling to like and he because of knowing what to say and when to leave someone wanting more, he was able to help me like really trim some of the the edits. Mm. And I think that's one of those. I'm sure what you're adding to your well, yeah, for producing it was, was the streamlining it. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like he put together this great uh, narrative, but like this needs to be there. Pull this out, cut that, 
this moment has great energy and then there's 10 seconds with no energy to lead to this other moment of energy. But like I said, to, to be able to take all this footage and assemble it, yeah, you know, I mean, it takes hours and hours yeah. and hours and hours and hours to do it. You know? It does. <laughs> it's it's super crazy because there's no one person going to make the same movie with the same footage. So mm. it's really just like your perspective. Right. And I, I firmly believe like if once you watch it enough, the movie like presents itself. You know, yeah, you're, the you're, story tells itself. Yes. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the one that we the, the we did was a friend of mine when he was 18 was in a heavy metal band in Brandon, Florida, which at the time was the heavy metal capital of the world. Okay. They made uh, a seven-inch disc, uh, floated over to Germany, band got in a big argument, broke up. Third, never played in another band again. 30 years later, a promoter of a festival contacts them and says, we want Siren to come play this festival because you guys are huge here. Like, what? Right. You have a huge fan base. From what? From where? So after 30 years of putting the dream aside, they now assemble the band to go and for one night be rock stars 30 years later. Yeah. And I thought, when well, as soon as I heard that, I was like, okay, this is going to go one of two ways. A, it's either going to be a catastrophe, everything's going to go wrong, which is going to make for a great right. film. Well, that's Or... Everything goes right, and it's an uplifting human story about dreams can come true. Never give up. Right. And lo and behold, it went really good, and that's what we have. It's a real great heartwarming awesome. story about rock and roll. So it's called I'm Too Old for This Shit, <laughs> a heavy metal fairy tale. <laughs> I love so that's that. kind of, but like I said, that was the idea for it. Now, I sent Nathan out to, to, to get it. Yeah. What, what are you looking at for a documentary? Because you don't know what's going to happen. Right. Well, I mean, well, go back to what you're saying about something bad happening. It's like, you have to like completely remove all sort of humanity at some point because like there's people who make documentaries about like li like lions like killing like right. things in the wild. You're not right. gonna like stop and go, hey, maybe we shouldn't be killing this this animal here. You kind of have to watch the thing happen. Sure, you know. So like when you're saying something bad could happen, that it's like you're only gonna see doc directors go, no, that could be good. Well, the, the, <laughs> yeah. We hope it does. It's like if you look at like my two favorite documentaries is uh, Saint An or not Saint uh, uh, some kind of monster, okay, the Metallica yep. movie where they were filming Metallica doing their new record, and then suddenly the band breaks up halfway through. James yeah. goes insane, disappears for a year. Newstead quits. Lars is left as the sole survivor. <laughs> Then they made this incredible movie. They didn't know that was going to happen right. when the movie first was filming. Wrestling with Shadows, same thing. They didn't know that Vince was going to double-cross Brett, leading to Brett knocking Vince out and all this stuff that happened. Yeah. That's just when the real life came in. So when you're going out to film a documentary, where do you get the idea from? And also, like for Santas, it's more of a, a, a piece about these guys, right? Yeah, so like for, for Santa... In particular, you know, we we had five different Santas, so it's it's kind of like one person's story, but told in five different people's perspectives. Yeah. You know, Mick was the rookie, so you're you're getting to understand the world of Santa Claus. You know, how to become, uh, you know, to get a degree in Santa Clausology, all these sort with of with a very famous guy. Let's be honest. Exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean that. Well, see, I I'm a huge huge wrestling fan, and we mm -hmm. put a wrestler in every single one of our movies. We at least try to, mm -hmm. you know. So. One of my buddies like, you know, Mick's actually like a big fan of Santa. I was like, well, this makes sense, you know? And like, he's like a lifelong friend. Like, he was my son's first Santa, which is an unbelievable... Mick was? Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah he... Because um, I was living in New Jersey at the time. He's like, he's like, I'm coming in for Raw. He's like, I'm going to get a hotel. I'll have the back backdrop. He's like, we'll do Santa. He's like, I need to be the... I, he wanted to be my son's first Santa. So it was awesome. 
Now, um, why do you always want to put a wrestler in your movies? Just a big fan, you know, uh, of wrestling. My grandfather got me watching WrestleMania nine, and I just mm. like fell in love with but, it. But, 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 but you're a filmmaker, though. From you just you're not doing it just to have a fan to be a oh, fanboy. Right. Well, no, but, but they're great performers. Like so, gotcha. when we were doing great on camera. Yeah, of course. Mm. You know, like when we were doing scripted stuff, it was so much easier. You know, Tommy Dreamer was a strip club announcer. You know, uh, Al Snow was a guy on TV um, for what. Oh, these are different movies gotcha, we did. Gotcha, movies. Yeah, okay, I got sorry. You. So different scripted stuff. I like, understand. My, fir can... oh, my first scripted movie, uh, The Blue Meanie, is giving massages to some guy. It was like he had a couple different lines, friends of Blue Meanie. You know, it's just one of those things where like, they're really good on camera. You guys are really good on camera. And also there's an audience there. People know who you are. So you're you're casting a star in some it's sense. It's interesting because with, with, uh, with um, Too Old for This Shit, I did an interview kind of as the, the devil's advocate. Like, there's no way that everything's going to go completely according to plan because this just doesn't happen. A band just doesn't get a call out of nowhere and suddenly go play in front of 5,000 people. Right. I'm calling bullshit on this. And I, my wife was watching. She goes, like, are you, are you trying to be an asshole? I was like, no, I'm just painting the other side of the story because yeah. I knew it had to be painted. Yes. Right? And also I know how to be on camera. So yeah. those moments, it really ties some of the room together if you're Big Lebowski's rug. Yeah. Which you need to get with certain elements of your story. Well, like, so we would interview these Santas and you would just like hours and hours of footage for something to get get something good. You right, know, you sit right. down Mick and he's like, all right, boom. You're like, oh, that was so easy. And if you're not getting Mick, can you say this? One line later. <laughs> yeah. Other times, and you'll probably notice, you can ask an untrained person to say something and they'll talk for five minutes and not say what you said. Tommy, say this is hot coffee. Oh, I had some coffee and it was real tasty and I was oak and rotten. Like, you didn't say it was hot. Oh, I didn't, <laughs> sorry. Right? Yeah. But yeah, and then so the other Santas were, um, uh, we had a gay Santa. It was like he had a, he was living in Texas and his boyfriend was in Denver. So it was a, you that know, was my favorite one. Yeah, there was a love story there. Uh, our New York Santa identity, you know, he uh, legally changed his name to Santa Claus. Our one Santa in Detroit, he, um, he lost his house. He lost, his wife uh, divorced him. He lost his job. So he living in his daughter's basement. He used being Santa to lift himself out of depression. Mm -hmm. So he used, a, it's really a movie about identity and community, you mm -hmm. know, and like what we do to fill the holes in our heart. It just happens to be Santa Claus. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't, I couldn't care less about Christmas. It was like, our movie wasn't about Santa. It was the people who portray Santa. And I think that's always the hook for any good movie. It's like, yeah, it's not a good story. Yeah. It's it's, like Walk, Walking Dead is not about zombies. It's about how people are dealing with this new society. Right? Exactly. It's Trojan horse sort of movies. Right. You go in going, hey, isn't this fun? Look at this. But then inside there's a great message. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Yeah, that leads us perfect segue to, to the new documentary that you did, uh, The Bill Murray Stories. Now briefly for people that don't know and I've heard about this for a while that Bill will just show up yeah. in different places and, and you know like the one that you said like, like do something crazy and go no one's ever going to believe you and yeah. just run away and you think and we'll get into this because I have a few Bill Murray stories of my own oh great um, but there's a whole underlying message to this movie that I didn't even realize until you start watching it let's not jump forward to that first of all how did you get the idea to do this documentary and kind of tell us the road to get to it 
Sure. So, I mean, like, right off Santa, like, I knew I wanted to do this Bill Murray story. Stuff. Why? Because, like, I just started hearing these things. It was actually Blue Meanie who told me my first Bill Murray story. You know, he... Which one was that? He goes, uh, he's like, Bill Murray was in some bathroom, put his hand over someone's eyes at urinal and said, no one will ever believe you. I was like, that's silly. That's crazy. Some guy put his hands over my eyes and you're I don't care if he's Bill Murray or not, I'm going to punch him in his fucking face. Exactly, right? <laughs> but like, so, I, you know, I don't think that story necessarily is true. It was like a told by a... Uh, right. you know, I was, was told by a... Exactly. So it's one of those things where that was what intrigued me too. But then I heard like he went, he was in um, Scotland and did someone's dishes at a party. Like what is this? So like no, you, but, and by the way, it's not a party that he's invited to. Right, right. He just shows up at yeah. someone's house. Yeah. They let him in and he does dishes. So here's the thing, and this is something you could relate to, because like there's a million people who know you who you are, but you don't know who they are. It's mm -hmm. a really interesting relationship celebrities have mm -hmm. where it's like Bill Murray has this like invite to everyone mm -hmm. because they know who he is. And he's able to play with that in a positive way, where like he's like, I don't know who you are, but let's still have fun. You know, like let's is yes and this sort of... It's something that Ronnie James Dio told me. I've said this on the podcast many times, but it's such a great, great statement. It's like, always give people their moment. Yeah. Because you won't remember it, but they'll never forget it. Five seconds you're giving someone will mean the world to yeah, them. Yeah, and, and you, they will never forget it. And you will never probably remember it. Yeah. But just give people their moment. And as we get through more of this 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 documentary, it seems like Bill really thrives on giving people their moment and, and, and letting people know that we're all in this together. I think it's his way of navigating this, you know, yeah. because it can very, be very overwhelming where right. it's like, you know, he can't be normal anymore. He he's can't one of the most famous people in the world. Exactly, and he can't just go to the store and do whatever. So he's like, well, this is going to be on my terms. He doesn't have a manager. He doesn't have an uh, agent. He just has a 1-800 number. Everything is on his now, terms. Hold, I'm hold on a second. Now, when you say that, it's because you've heard that story a hundred times, but let's just... Sorry, sorry. No, but I'm saying that, yeah. that that's, it's amazing. Let's think about this. He's a Hollywood A-plus actor, A-plus yeah. a, a lister. He doesn't have an agent or a manager or a publicist, which in this town means you're pretty much obsolete. Right. On top of that... He doesn't have a website. He doesn't have an email. He has a what? A 1-800 number that like you call and it's like, uh, it's not even like, hey, it's Bill. It's just like, you've reached this number number. If you want to leave one for a number, two, like one for a page, two for a voicemail. It's just like, it's so an outdated service. And if you want to cast Bill Murray, if I'm Steven Spielberg and I want to cast Bill Murray, I have to call the 1-800 number. Yeah. If he agrees to it, then what happens? Calls you back? Well, there's a, a good story of Ted Melfi who did uh, St. Vincent. Like, um, he kept calling this number, calling this number, calling this number. And Bill Murray was like, Bill Murray told his lawyer to reach out to Ted and had him FedEx a script to like, like a, an area. You know, it wasn't his house. It wasn't it just like a P.O. box. Yeah, it was just something that he would pick up, you know, and then he'd read the script. And if he liked it, then he would call you, you know, and that, that was how it was. Like, he had these like drop off points in like New York or. South Carolina, and it was just—it's just—he was just a game. <laughs> so it's like, it's like he'll pick up the briefcase underneath the, the exactly, the snow, like in uh, yeah, in Fargo. Yeah. So okay, so so you had this idea. You've heard these stories, right? So I just thought that was really interesting, and I was like, I like these stories. They're fun, but I wonder if you could do it in a way where it was like Bigfoot. Like Bill isn't Bigfoot because he's obviously real, but if you made a Bigfoot documentary about these stories, that could be interesting, you know. So our idea... Even on the cover of your DVD, he says a Bigfoot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, our thought was make a detective slash Bigfoot documentary. And so you you want to... Like, even with Santa, it's like right, you know, first couple of minutes, you're like, okay, Santa's not real, but these guys are, mm -hmm. you know? 
we don't want to ruin the magic of a Bill Murray story. Like these are magical, fun things. So you, you don't want to like just directly just take the fun out of it. So it was like, how can you show that these things are existing, but then still also keep that lore and that that funness with it? So that was the thought process. And I'm not a guy that's going to put himself in all his documentaries. Like Santa mm. Claus, I'm not in at all. Mm. But to me, like the only way to do this... Because you're the bridge, yeah. Yeah, we you need a through line. And it's not like... You know, uh, like, hey, I'm Tommy Avalone, and I'm going to have a Bill Murray story. You know, it was no, very it's detective not, it's, it's funny because, you know, like I said, watching the majority of it, you are calling the 1-800 number yeah. and getting, first of all, great scene where you like pulling a swingers and he calls the girl's right. answer machine and it goes for five minutes because he keeps saying stupid things. You were lucky enough that you could erase it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. you kept trying and kept trying. It just he sounded like the biggest loser ever. Right. <laughs> Thank I'm you. Tommy Avalone. I make documentaries. <laughs> I got a real idea for a documentary that you might want to be in my documentary. Yeah. And I just said documentary again. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah, wah. But that's the thing. It's like, you know, I, I thought of that scene from Swingers, you know, like after I'm putting it together. And like there, I actually was leaving messages and stuff like that, but that wasn't fun. Like the, the joke is the show the mistake, you know? Right. Uh, and then I had my mom call and all that, that sort good. of stuff. Yeah, so it was I like, thought there might be a chance that he might have called you back on that one. Yeah, I thought so too. Like uh, I was... I. I'm friends with Morgan Spurlock and he was telling me, he's like, oh, yeah, your mom called, he'll call back. And he yeah, yeah. never called back. No. So just take a couple steps back. So how do you put together a, a Bill Murray documentary? Right. So um, and I'll try to make this short, but like, so when we were doing Santa, I knew I wanted to do this thing. And I had this idea for the Bill Murray stories. So we just started, I lived in New Jersey, started filming local stuff, you know, like the kickball stories in New York, the dodgeball stories. Well, tell in New us York. some of the stories. Oh, sorry. Um, so there was a kickball game in, in Brooklyn uh, or somewhere around New York. And Bill Murray just randomly joined their kickball game and just started playing along. You know, it just it was viral, sort of, you know, it was on chives, on all these sorts of things. And that's, you know, more or less it. And then there's one story where this guy was doing karaoke. and at a, he's At a bar? Yeah, a karaoke bar in New York. And the guy saw Bill Murray. He's like, would you like to join us? He's like, no, 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 no. And then like five minutes later, he comes in. They're belting out Elvis tunes, you know? And it was like this whole long night and... They took pictures and they put it online. So these interesting stories, but you're just seeing the picture and Bill Murray showed up, but you're not hearing much more mm. about it, you know? So we went to New York and filmed some of these things and started putting together this, this sizzle tape, you know, because all my ideas are off on paper. Santa, Bill Murray, this new movie I did, Waldo and Weed, like they're all bad ideas on paper that no one can understand. So we have to make these like sizzle, sizzle tapes. So in doing so, we interviewed some New York City Ghostbusters, some New Jersey Ghostbusters. We thought... These people must have an opinion on Bill Murray. They're a big fan, right? And then we started seeing that there was a Ghostbusters fan documentary being made called Ghost Heads. And my idea was, if I interview some of these people, I'll ask... I, I, I reached out to the director. He's a Canadian guy, uh, Brennan Mertens. And I was like, hey, man, like I would love to help you with your documentary. I'll ask questions for your Ghostbusters. You'll get to Dan Aykroyd and Ivan Reitman before I will. You ask my questions, we'll swap footage. Mm -hmm. That was like the idea. But then I saw one of the Ghostbuster uh, fans, Tom Gebhardt, was a lot like one of our Santas. I was like, oh, I know how to tell a story. Let me produce and edit it. So we did. So we put the stuff to the side. We did a Kickstarter uh, for uh, Ghost Heads, put it together. A couple people put some money in it, uh, played Tribeca, sold to Netflix, and these guys made their money back relatively fast. They're like, well, what do you got next? And I had this sizzle presentation for Bill Murray. And they're like, let's do it. So they fully funded it. So like, mm. if I'd not just like went on this like weird little side wow. trip to Ghost Heads, 
Bill Murray would never have been fully funded. And look, we didn't have to do any crowdfunding stuff for Did Bill you Murray. make Ghost Says? Is that uh, Tom? Is it you I, I, pr- it? I produced that gotcha, one. Gotcha. Yeah, but it was it was interesting. It was like it was like kind of like a sequel to Santa by not using Santa, but using Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters fans. Ghostbusters fans, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of using like what people do with movies and how it really helps mm-hmm. Helps Which kind of ties in the Bill Murray thing because, like you said, this guy is so beloved and so popular, and now has really per- perpetuated this urban legend myth that he's, like you said, a mythical creature that could show up at any point in time. Yeah. The longest field goal ever attempted is seventy-six yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also seventy-six yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. There's a great story that you said about the uh, people getting their wedding pictures taken. Mm-hmm. I mean, tell that. Yeah, I mean, so like they... Like we were, so so we got the the funding to do this this documentary, and so we just went everywhere. The first thing was South Carolina. So you're tracking down people that have had these sightings. Yeah. So we went. We talked to the guy who took the engagement photo, and he's like just a normal day in South Carolina taking engagement photos. And then uh, the guy, the groom, husband, groom. Yeah, yeah. He like started looking to the side. He's like, no, 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 pay attention, pay attention. He looked around, and Bill Murray's got his shirt off and just slapping his belly, you know. And he's like, what's going on? He's like, Bill, you want to be in this picture? So it was like this whole big thing. But like once you like face value, talk about the story, it's a funny story. But then you hear like what it did for them, how it made them feel. And like really what Bill is kind of doing, like he's, he, he talks about being available, living in the moment, being present. So like you start seeing these words be talked about all the time. And when you put them all together, you're, you're kind of like telling the story of being present, you know, and it's so hard with like our, our cell phones and Internet, so many distractions, but Bill doesn't do that because he doesn't have Twitter. He doesn't have Instagram. There's no Bill going, oh, I had breakfast today. You know, like mm. he doesn't do that. He kind of, he lives his life in very much in a present sort of moment. If he sees someone who needs some sort of something, he's there for it. Well, that's the underlying theme that I was talking about earlier is that he's really doing this as uh, uh, as life lessons. Yes. You know, because there's somebody, I think somebody written a book or a movie, The Tao of Bill Murray. Yeah. And, He's, we interviewed him. Yeah, I saw that on your, yeah. on your movie. Yeah, and then we're talking about how Bill lives in the moment, and and most most of the I think the word that somebody said was that we're so disconnected in our lives now because we're always on our phones. Yeah, always on the phones. And Bill is whether there's got to be some reason to it. He's wacky, but he's doing it for a reason to show people to live in the now. I think he. I mean, yes, you could say it's this heroic thing, and sometimes maybe it is. But I also think it's 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 something for himself too. Like he's. He says sometimes he's asleep at the wheel. You know, he's he's the, everyone's the Walking Dead. You know, his, the Scream Awards. He got uh, he won an award for being in um, Zombieland, right. and he thanked the audience, who he said were the Walking Dead, mm-hmm. meaning that like everyone's just asleep at the wheel. Mm-hmm. You know, and he does these things to kind of wake himself up. You go back to his studies at Second City. Del Close, who's an amazing improv teacher, is very much of a live in a moment, take improv off the stage. Uh, when Bill Murray did the movie Razor's Edge. And it didn't do well. He went to uh, France and studied philosophy and really got into this uh, guy, G.I. Gurdjieff, who all was about waking people. He would hit people with sticks just to wake them up to like mm. share this a moment. There's a lot of like background knowledge that goes into some of the stuff Bill does. Does he apply that every day? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. But I think if he if he 
sees it, feels a charge and sees a moment to happen, he, he'll, he'll, he'll follow that through. He had a great po- part when he was at the San Diego Comic-Con and some yeah. fan was asking about, are these the rumors true that you go up to people and do these wacky things and say no one's going to believe you? And and Bill's just like, I don't know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, well, of course, because you got to keep the joke alive, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like, you know, when we were calling him, we weren't trying to like 2020 style and sit down with him and like talk to him because if we're making a Bigfoot documentary... You're not gonna sit down with Bigfoot and be like, "So what's with the woods?" Wah, what, you know, wah, wah. <laughs> yeah, it ruins the magic. You right. know, like, do you really want to know if Bigfoot exists? No, you want the the fun of this well, could it's, be. It's the bad the, the magician. Tell me how you saw the lady in half. Like, you don't really want to know, right? You know what I mean? Because, like I said, I thought that was like there's so many great moments of this. Like, I was thinking to myself, the Bill Murray could run for president. <laughs> you see this stuff, like. Uh, you made the analogy, which was really good, to meatballs, mm-hmm. where they, you know, he tells the kids in camp, it just doesn't matter because no matter what you do, they're still going to date the rich guys. Yeah. So it just doesn't matter. Bringing that, like, nothing really matters. No. Just enjoy yourself and and it's all your personal narrative. Like, you know, yeah. right? And and how you painted the picture that he's maybe telling us how to how to how uh, be in the moment and and connect with strangers. Yeah, you know. Well, I mean, that was the greatest thing. It's like you know, we would go to Austin, Texas and talk to the people who have, you know, had a house party and Bill Murray showed up with the, with the band and started helping the band set up. And when the cops came, like Bill Murray showed up to the door and the cops were like, no, forget it. You're, you're having a great time. Keep going. He was playing tambourine with the band when the cops showed up. Yeah. They wanted the band to turn down. The dude was like, well, you tell Bill Murray that he can't play tambourine. And Bill went up to him with the tambourine. He was shaking it in their face. Right? Yeah. And then there's video of that stuff. And you're like, but you could the smile that the people have when they tell these stories, it just lights them up. And like, and it goes, you, you see that behavior and you go, I should do that. You know, and it's like that sort of yes and like improv style where you're like, you know what? Like, we played at South by Southwest, right? And this lady came up to me afterwards. She's like, she's like, I was going, I had a, a two hour break where I was going to meet up with friends and see a show. And I was going to just go to my hotel room and just fall asleep for two hours. But I thought, what would Bill do? And I just explored and I've had an amazing time, you know? And like, it was just like one of those things where like, you could just, I'm tired, but like, just yes then. Like, let's let's explore. Let's see what's going to happen. And she had an amaz- amazing time, you know? It makes it, may, it makes me, because I've heard these stories for years, obviously, as we all have. It makes me feel kind of bad sometimes because like, I like, I should do that. Like, I'm not Bill Murray, but there's a segment of society that if I did stuff like that, would love it. Yeah. And I have done certain things like that at times. But I want to do more of it because, yeah. like, I bet you it really does make him feel alive. Like you mentioned, South by Southwest, it, it was he 70, hanging out with 20-year-old teenagers, playing rock and roll at a dorm party, uh, avoiding the cops. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. You know, right. If that doesn't make alive. you feel like a teenager and make you feel alive, it's it's like we said about some of the Siren documentary. They were saying, like, like I'm 56 years old, but I feel like I'm 18 again by playing on stage with this rock and roll band. That was their 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 chance to be alive and maybe you know, like you said a guy like bill who's been so famous for so long he's made you know a dozen 25 classic movies maybe that's the way that he can keep himself grounded by going out and hanging out with people well, i mean i think you said it like one of your last runs with wwe like you're like you're you know i what you said like late late 40s you know jumping off like steel cages yeah. and doing all that stuff because you're messing around with like kevin owens and all these young guys right. And it made you feel younger. You know, I think that's the secret of it all is really just to kind of like try to capture some of that youth, even mm. if you're not, you mm-hmm. know, like Bill Murray is the youngest 68 year old person probably ever, mm. <laughs> you know, and it's because he just does this stuff. He doesn't like just retire into whatever. I'm sure some nights there is that, you know, he's just watching the Cubs game or whatever, but you know, he's out there exploring and like, you know, 
when you're on tour and whenever we're making these movies, it's like we could just go back to the hotel room and afterwards and just do whatever. But it's like, no, let's let's figure out what Phoenix is like. Let's yeah. see what. Let's go see something. Yeah, let's what Scotland have to offer. Let's figure that out. Right, and it's like you know, I remember like the last time I was in Scotland, wherever it was, it's like, oh, another castle, and it's like, yeah, a castle. How many castles are you looking at in the United States? Our country's 200 years old. This country's 2000. Get off the freaking bus and go look at a castle. Well, so we talked to this lady who's in Scotland, but she was born in Michigan, you know? And she's like, my flat is older than my country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I thought, that's the craziest thing I've yeah. ever heard. Like, you forget that, like, <laughs> these things are just so, so does Bill, old. does Bill do these things kind of around the world? Like well, just- so Scotland, he was in Scotland because of St. Andrews. It's like the oldest golf course. So there's like a lot of these like celebrities will come to these golf courses. Usually it's a thing that brings them there, whether it's a festival. Uh, he was in Slovenia doing something because I think he has like a, uh, that was great. Like a a, a a liquor company that he was doing something for. Playing accordion. With, yeah. Uh, one of the stories I was going to tell you is that, uh, and I have two of them, is that a friend of mine, he plays every year in the Pro-Am tournament yeah. at yeah, yeah. Uh, Pebble Beach. Okay. So we went there and he's he's pretty, he's a pretty wealthy guy. He's actually been on Talk as Jericho. Todd Wagner is his name. And when he was playing, there's a pro and an amateur and there's a foursome. So it was mm-hmm. Todd... I think he was with Jordan Spieth, and then is Bill Murray was the other am, and they hate him at Pebble Beach because he wears like Chicago Cubs sweatpants and like PBR pants, you, yeah. yeah, and they they hate it, but he's Bill Murray, right? Yeah, of course, and it's a typical thing, like anything he does, people are just howling. Like he could just go, "Hey, there's a there's a bird, ah, there's a bird." But what he would do is when people are walking because you hit the ball, and then everybody walks down the field. And then what he would do is he would get out of the green and walk behind people on on the cement sidewalk and just walk behind them, like really close to them. And so if they were talking, they would turun around. Bill Murray's right behind him. Or if they were talking, he'd be like, nah, 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 nah. and he's doing it. Like at first I was like, okay, he's just playing to the crowd. I'm like, no, he's amusing himself. Yeah. And he's, like you said, he's keeping people in that. You know that I'm here, but you're still not paying attention. I can still surprise you and get you. Yeah. You know, I just thought that was really cool that uh, he was still really involved in being almost like an entertainer. Well, you have to entertain yourself. Like, you know, look at the way you guys do, like, live shows to house shows. Yeah. Like, I had heard, like, Foley talk about, like, Owen Hart doing matches where, like, someone would hit him with a bag of popcorn and he would sell it like it was a steel chair, yeah. you know? Yeah. You do these things to keep yourself to Entertain into yourself. It. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, the, the, as also to Bill uh, for Todd's party, but it was there, he, he gave his Bill Murray wear. And they're like kind of really ugly golf shirts. The yeah, one that yeah. I have, I wore it once, but it's so ugly. There's like the William Murray golf line. What's it called? The William Murray golf William line. Murray golf line. And it's uh, all these martinis, like okay. little martinis. And then every like tenth one is spilt. Oh, <laughs> it's, <laughs> nice. it's so stupid. I yeah. wore it once. I'm like, this is so ugly. But that was kind of the the, the chance to see Bill Murray up close and personal. Like, oh, you said, so you got to see him? Yeah, because I, I was there. Oh, so okay. I, I forgot to tell you that I was yeah. there. Uh, watching because my wife wanted to go. She's friends. We're both friends with the Wagners. But, you know, I'm not a golf guy. So walking back up and down the court, there's no drinks in the court, the field. The best part was watching Bill Murray and watching people get mad at Bill Murray for being Bill Murray. Yeah. I'm like, why the hell? He's probably the major draw of the damn tournament. If he wants to walk off the field in sweatpants, let him do it, right? Yeah. Well, there's there's this no, there's no, he's just going to do what he's going to do. You know, like, when they shot Lost in Translation, like he really didn't show up until like the day. And like they weren't sure if he was, in, they're in Japan waiting for him to show up and going, well, I really hope this happens, you know? And he but does, does he have a reputation of just not showing up ever? He'll always show up. Right. But you just will never hear about it beforehand. Like yeah, he'll gonna, say yes. 
and then radio silence until the day. He's not going to text you like I'm, you know, I'm an hour away. Yeah. Yeah. Is he still, I haven't seen any projects with him lately. Well, he's, he does everything Wes Anderson, but usually the roles are like smaller, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, He just did a Jim Jarmusch movie uh, about zombies with uh, Adam from Girls. Okay. Um, I'm driver. He's into the zombie movies now. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's Jim Jarmusch, so it's a weird yeah, one, you yeah, know. Uh, coffee and cigarettes, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and then he's just doing another uh, Sofia Coppola movie. He still does what he wants to do. You know what it is? He has his like three directors that he works with, mm-hmm. and just does that. That's you know, it. whenever they're ready for him, he'll work. They call the one eight hundred number. Yeah. Well, no. I mean, I think by that he does. Like, so, not to ruin the myth, but he, you know, because of his kids are young, he does have a cell phone now, so he could text them. <laughs> but you know, uh, you know, but he's not going to text any uh, directors. No, no, he's not. <laughs> you know, I, I, I love the scene too. And once again, I haven't seen the last thirty minutes, so maybe you can tell a couple of things sure. that happened at the end of the movie. But the last scene that I watched. Was they're building, uh, is it a library? or? Oh, the poetry house. The poetry house. Yeah. For people to go into, like, read poetry. And all the construction workers there. But you tell the story. Yeah, so um, there's this poetry house in New York, and it was being built. And all the construction workers are just, you know, doing their job. They, you know, not to stereotype, but they're not, they don't care about the poetry. They're not much into poetry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they're, you know, this whatever. But they wanted, like, the poetry people wanted to kind of show what they're building and why this thing is important. Right. Um, so they had they asked Bill, who is a big fan of the Poetry House in New York, um, and uh, he kind of came in, surprised everyone, to start reading poetry. The way it's reported is Bill just randomly showed up to a construction site, and started so reading poetry. Reading poetry right. Yeah, but like it was kind of a little bit set up, but like still, like the people who were doing this uh, had no idea, and he just started reading poetry to these people, and the shots are amazing because. You know, we interviewed them. They're like, you know, we're last time someone read us poetry was probably eighth grade, you know? <laughs> like right. and the way he kind of like did this thing to connect and just kind of reminded them what they were doing was important work, you know? So it was really fun. Yeah, he he was letting the 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 construction workers know that even though it's a poetry house, it still means something. So by them hearing him read poetry, I think they had more respect for what yeah. they were building, yeah. you know? Like if it was originally, if they were building a strip club, they would be more excited. But afterwards, <laughs> but I just thought like now, now Bill Murray is like helping people hear about poetry. Like it's a very, very magical guy in a lot of ways. Yeah, well, I mean, he's that kind of, he's like a, he's like a jazz sort of poem, you know, like it's mm-hmm. just like very impromptu, like uh, just kind of like no set rhythm. It just kind of like goes off to it, whatever it's wanted to do. It's just, um, he's, he's a unique bird. You know what uh, you mentioned that you had you had George the Animal Steal or he's not in the movie. Or yeah. So you know? initially, when we first started doing these sort of uh, interviews, we're like, oh, let's talk to people who were in the movie. You know, in the movies with them. You know, and um, because I like to put a wrestler in every single one of the movies, I was like, oh, well, George George Animal Steal was in Ed Wood with him. So you know, but George didn't really get really what we were trying to do. He has some great stories about Bill. But then as the movies stopped becoming that and more about these stories, he didn't have those sort of experiences. Yeah. But, you know, uh, he was very helpful and was super nice. And so we put all the, his, uh, like five, six minutes of his interview on the DVD. So it wasn't so much a Bill Murray documentary. You're right. doing it about these stories and about this kind of, right. this mindset that he has surrounding it. Yeah, there was like the signing in Persephone, like New Jersey or like New York area. So we went, went up to him, got interviewed in his hotel room, you know, uh, and he was really nice. You know, but it was just like, it wasn't, you know, it's a lot of it's not his fault. It wasn't the movie we, you know, someone told me once, if you, if you make the movie you plan on making, you didn't listen to your talent, you know. Especially and, as a documentary. It definitely. Exactly. You know, uh, so it's like, you know, we were like, let's just try to talk to people who were in movies with them, you know, and, and that just really didn't work out. Like, even like, you know, we interviewed Joel Murray, his brother, and Peter Fairley, who, 
did three movies with, you know. Um, Which, oh, Kingpin. Kingpin, um, uh, Dumb and Dumber 2, he was in it briefly. Oh. And there was another movie, um, Osmosis Jones, they okay. they did some of the, the stuff there. Yeah, Dumb and Dumber 2 was a stinker. <laughs> yeah, well now, <laughs> but now Peter won the Academy Award for uh, the Green Book. So, you know, he's really, yeah. Wow, he got his revenge. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, even with them, like, we used probably, like, two minutes of them in the movie. It, was there any good stories that, that, that you could Yeah, well, fit? in the DVD, we, we put some stuff in there. It was a good one that George Animal Steel told you. Well, George, George just said he was, he was a special guy, you know? <laughs> like, and, like, you know, they were filming this one scene in, like, um, like an icebox sort of thing. And it, George's wife is there and all that stuff. And, you know, obviously, George's wife is cold. And George wasn't paying attention because he's, like, you know, he's in this movie. He's kind of out of his element a little bit. And Bill Murray, like, puts his jacket on you know, his, on uh, his wife. And he's like, Oh, right. Of course. You know, <laughs> he's like, thanks Bill. You know? And like, but Bill saw this moment where his wife was like freezing and like gave him his, his coat and sort of thing. So it was like, <laughs> like George was just like, appreciated that. But then they became really good friends. Like I think when George got inducted into the hall of fame, Bill might've added like a video. Oh, okay. like, like he was like, was an elephant or something. There's some sort of thing where like they kept in touch, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, and you know, uh, George Amel Steele being in Florida, they would meet up every once in a while because the Murray brothers have a Caddyshack restaurant in Florida by the <laughs> golf course. So they kept in touch, which I thought was great, you know? Uh, and another thing about Caddyshack, you mentioned this is the famous line that, you know, hey, 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 Dolly, hey, Dalai Lama, how about a little something for the effort? And the guy says, you know, when you, when you die, you're going to have total consciousness. So I yeah. that go for me. It's also very Bill Murray, what we're talking about. He has that total consciousness or whatever yeah. already, you know? He's reached, like, I don't want to say Nirvana, but like some sort of higher... Yeah, hire something, you know, and like you, you anytime he's improving in the movies, like there's these little secrets in it. Like Razor's Edge talks about it, Meatballs talks about it, Caddyshack talks about it, even like some of the stuff of What About Bob. Like there's some like inserts of some of his his wisdom, uh, and if you just pay attention to it, he's kind of like speaking that. It's so interesting to me because like this is such an underground, like you mentioned, urban legend mm -hmm. that I don't think could ever be more than that. Like even if everybody in Hollywood catches on to this. Yeah. It's still not like, it's funny, it's quirky, but it's not sexy enough to be a mainstream story. Right. It's a very much a San Diego Comic-Con vibe. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, you know yeah. what I'm saying to this? It's like, it's like even, it's it, like, I can't see, and not that he wants to, but how Bill would benefit from this other than it just makes his legend even more amazing. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, because, like, they, he was interviewed after the movie came out on Good Morning America, and they talked about this movie. About this movie. It, it wasn't, like, set up that way. You know, like, we didn't, like, book it, you know? No, like, no, no, but yeah. so they, they, so he knows this movie exists. Yeah, he does, yeah. And then, like, so they asked him, hey, Bill, like, you know, you do these sort of things, and he's like, it's, he's like, it just, I just do them, you know, because uh, it, it happens. Like, I'm not like, oh, I need to work on my myth today, you know? Right, I, right, right, I, right. What, what can I do to, to, to really have people talk about my myth. He doesn't think that way, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, but when they asked about the movie, he's like, yeah, they asked me to be in it, but a movie about myself, that's something I'll do when I pass away. You know, mm -hmm. it's a very Bill Murray answer. Because he's not, like, he he got honored at the Mark Twain's award, uh, Mark Twain Award, and he almost didn't show up because, like, he just didn't want, he doesn't like to be, like, put on a pedestal that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Even, like, when we were setting up to talk to him, like, we didn't want to, like, talk to him, talk to him. We were like, oh, that'd be cool if he, like, walked by a shot or something, like, Bill Murray-esque, like you know? Like, at the end or something. yeah. But at, yeah. the, at the at the end of the documentary, like the the hands come around the front of the lens, yeah, yeah, and yeah. That ends with, with hands of them going, no one will ever believe you. Yeah, and yeah, well, we, we, I made this joke when we would do the Q and As. I was like, the way the Hollywood ending of this movie is how we'll do a Q and A, uh, you know, hopefully a standing ovation. 
like I'm up there on the stage. I'm the only one that could see Bill in the back. He's he he gives me the thumbs up and just disappears. Like that's the way. Like there he is. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. no, no one, one there, believe yeah. yeah. That's like the, if this was a Hollywood scripted movie, that's how it would turn out. Yeah. You know, it's it's uh, so at least you know he got the message. Mm-hmm. That's because at least he got your messages. Yeah, I mean, well, at, at one point his mailbox was full, <laughs> and I can't believe it was just me. You know, obviously there's documentaries, so there's some showbiz. But did you? How many times did you call him? Thirteen times. Okay, <laughs> to be exact. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I try to do once a month. You know, and gotcha. we, were, we were doing it for a little bit. You know. So what? Uh, what are some of the things that happen towards the end of the movie? Like, how do you finish it up? Yeah, I mean, like that. We kind of like. Um, I, I run into Bill. You know, okay. uh, he's uh, part owner of the South Carolina uh, South Carolina River Dogs. Do you really run into him? I knew he was going to be there. Well, but so that's the real Bill Murray. Yeah, I mean, that's why you see the picture so of me in the, the back. Picture here. I was going to yeah. ask you because, like, because yeah, I'm at you smiling. Yeah, there's this there's this um, there's this documentary called My Date with Drew. It was like um, early 2000s where this guy uh, wanted a date with Drew Barrymore, and his whole documentary was. I, I need this date with Drew Barrymore. And that's not what we wanted to do. Like in the beginning of our movie, we show a picture of me and Bill. And well, let's say this is not what the movie's about. Like you obviously see mm-hmm. I'm with Bill. So I'm not trying to capture Bill or stalking Bill, yeah, you know? You talk about that. Yeah. So so in the ending, you see where that picture kind of lines up and like kind of take away from it, mm-hmm. you know? I don't want to ruin too much, no, no, but it, it's, to, yeah. it's 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 a neat when, little When ending. you met him, did, did you have a conversation or is it just uh, one picture? Or? Yeah, I mean like... I went up to him and I was like, um, you know, hey, hey, Bill. This this part was not in the movie because I wasn't wearing a love and all that stuff. But, but I was you like, you knew he was there and you went to find him. Yeah, gotcha. yeah, because I mean, we were working with the the team. They were like, you know, they gave us tickets and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and I was like, hey, uh, excuse me, Mister Murray, I'd like to ask you a question real quick. Uh, may I ask you a real quick a quick question? He was like, well, that was a quick question. And you're like, son of a bitch. You know? What now? Oh, that was a real quick question. You know? <laughs> so it's like, you're like, son of a Great bitch. Great answer. Yeah. And I was like, I was uh, like the one who was like, I don't mean to bug you, but you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> it was funny. Like, so you, you, can I tell you how I learned uh, to be polite? It's uh, once uh, CM Punk was doing a, a local TV station. And I was worked for that TV area, and I was like, "Can I get a picture?" And he's like, "No, hello." <laughs> no, yeah, no, like, I know, I know, and yeah, I yeah. was like, "Oh my god!" Like, I you, you forget that people are real people, That's you right. know. And exactly. so I, ever since then, I learned politeness from CM Punk. Yeah. It was just like, excuse me, uh, you know, person's name here. <laughs> yeah. May I, ha-, you know, like, yeah. uh, but all because of him. But um, so I, I was like, excuse me, Mr. Murray, um, making this documentary uh, about uh, Bill Murray stories. I'd love to talk to you. And he was like, uh, well, he was just confused because like he was trying to run to his area, you know, like, you know, so he wouldn't get bogged down. He's like, uh, no, I mean, I am Bill Murray and just kind of like ran off, you know, and I was like, this is not the place to yeah, try to yeah. pitch this, you yeah. know? Uh, so we just, uh, the interaction that you see is in the movie towards the end where I, we just kind of like have a short exchange. I ask for a picture and then he kind of leaves. But like, it's really the, everything leads to that point and you find That's out what it is. really cool that you saw him. That's a great yeah. way to end the movie. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like, I, I think it's a really strong ending in that like, we didn't force it because it's like, what's important to me is not important to him. You know, mm-hmm. and I respected that, you know? Like, right there, like I wanted to make a movie, he wanted to watch the game. Right. I'm not going to get to his seat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So like, there's no, there's no me forcing that. You know, yeah. and that's not what Bill's is. It's, it's very living a moment, being present. Like I was forcing myself onto him, and he was. That's not a part of the Bill Murray game. You know, right. his is very spontaneous. And it's not being part of the movie that you're telling. It's not the story exactly. you're telling either. Yeah. He, he, the best thing you could have done would have been, hey, I'm Tommy. I called you 13 times. You get my messages? Yeah, why didn't you call me? You get my messages? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so along those lines, my other Bill Murray story. Yeah. Okay. 
um, and this is a, a little bit more of a personal one, was I went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I go every year, but this is the year that the E Street Band got inducted. Oh, nice. Hall Notes was there. So, there was, so I know one of the ladies who, who, who runs it, her name is Betsy Hill, shout out. She uh, always knows where the after party is. So she got me and my cousin Chad there and Springsteen is there and everybody's there. And there's a bunch of people that yeah, probably like me, like, you know, they're not in any of the bands. Someone knows them, but you got to be cool, right? Yeah. So anyways, I was walking around and Bill Murray was there. And, you know, I didn't say anything to it, but I, I noticed at one point, about an hour into it, he's obviously wanting to go. But there's this really like large lady that's kind of got him cornered, and I can see just by his body language that he doesn't want to be in this corner anymore. Yeah. So I was a little bit lotus. I was like, I'm gonna go help. I told my cousin, I'm gonna go help Bill Murray. So I just walked in front of between him and the lady. I was like, How are you? Like uh, pretending that I recognize the lady. I was like, How are you? I didn't know you were here tonight. And Bill's kind of standing there. Said, It's time to bolt, Bill. He said, Thanks, sport. And you, <laughs> He ran, like, power walked out. She's like, Bill Bell. And I said, hey, so it's good to see. I kind of was like, did one of the, the basketball wow. walk. I wasn't touched her. But I just remember, time to bolt. Thanks, sport. <laughs> That's so funny. So there's so Bill so Bill Murray owes me a favor. Yeah. She should have told me. Yeah. I could have got a hold of when they yeah. wanted. I don't remember the guy who helped you out of the uh, Rock and Hall of Fame. Can you do an interview with my friend? That's funny. Well, when, when George Animal Steel was doing um, Ed Wood with him, you know, like, he was really, really nervous because he's a wrestler trying to be an actor sort of thing, you know? And just out of nowhere, too. Yeah, yeah. Just a strange casting, eh? Yeah, yeah. Well, because like he, he was very much looked like the person he was supposed to be. Very much so. Was it Tor Johnson or something like that? I don't remember. But like, uh, but like, Bill like made a point. He goes, "Hey guys, let's give this a break. He's a wrestler. He's been acting for a while. Yeah, yeah right, Like, right. He, like he he appreciated like the wrestling and the all that sort of stuff. But that's funny, like that you were able to uh, to help him out. I can tell. I've done it for Lars Ulrich before, and I can I can tell when people are getting comfortable. I don't want anything out of it. Except for like that guy was pretty cool. He helped me out. Yeah, there, you know? yeah, yeah. So what? What is the like the the the, the 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 process once you make the movie? And this is something that's very interesting to me, and we'll hopefully get a chance to talk about it later. How do you sell a documentary? What do you do? I noticed that there's a uh, hot docs, uh, S yeah. by S by W, uh, Southwest uh, submission, and all these sort yeah, of things. Yeah. So like we we premiered at South by Southwest. Uh, we got to play at Hot Docs, which is an amazing festival in Toronto. Uh, we played BFI in London. Like we had a really amazing festival run for Bill Murray stories, mainly because we had Bill Murray's name in the title. Right. You know, like it, it was not like I could I could have made like a bad movie and still you know it. Yeah. Bill Murray's name's in the title. You know. Right. Like, but like, I really connected with a lot of people. Like we in Hot Docs in Toronto. Like that theater is like seven hundred people, and we used to sell out like three nights. You know, mm -hmm. like it was a really really great run. Um. So we just had a successful festival run and. Uh, you know, I'm read by William Morris, so they were able to sell the movie. Uh, it was a split deal with actually William Morris and CAA, and they um, they sold it to Gravitas, and Gravitas got it out, and we were number one documentary on iTunes for an hour. <laughs> for an hey, hour, we were for Judas with the number one rock song. We beat John Mayer. I took 18 screenshots. Oh, hell yeah, I know yeah. when it goes, it might not come back. <laughs> yeah, I, and that's the thing. I, I knew that. I was like, all right, I don't know how long it's gonna be, but I have this screenshot. Yeah, that's it. That's all you need. And then, uh, and then we went on Netflix, and we're on Netflix for two years. So, so that's how it is. You kind of lease it to them for two years. That's that's currently how we are. Yeah. See, it's, I can see because as soon as I, uh, once again, the small world. As soon as I saw this, the Bill Murray stories. I was like, oh, I want to watch it. I didn't even know that you were attached to it. And, and, and somehow we got a deal where it's on plane, uh, the plane. Like you, that's where I saw it. On okay, the plane. Yeah. yeah. 
So like, so what's crazy about that is like, you know, each rung of it was fun. Like we had a very, very, very small theatrical run. So some people saw it, whatever. But like, you know, iTunes, you get a little friends going, oh, I've seen this. Or people reaching out to you, you haven't seen in a while. But Netflix, it just blew up. But then the people on these flights, which is crazy, like we were on international flights and all that stuff. So so many people have just checked it out on that, which is crazy to me. Yeah, and that's uh, I hadn't watched it, but I, that's where I saw it. Yeah. What's the Bill Murray stars? I'll have to put that on my mental list to watch yeah. at some point. Yeah. You know, um, and it's great having a title with a B. Because <laughs> I, just, I just did a movie called Waldo and Weed, which is way more serious, and it played Tribeca. W. You know, like it was, you could, you know, obviously... Going from Bill Murray to someone they don't know named Waldo, you're you're gonna have a different audience there. But I could just even tell with the the letters, you know, yeah. like it's like, oh, there's a different attention here, you know. What's the uh, uh, Waldo on weed? Yeah, it's a. Uh, it sounds like you know, where's Waldo sort of thing. But it's my friend, uh, his son named Waldo. Uh, in 2014, his uh, son had eye cancer at six months old. And they started using cannabis oil to counteract the results of the chemotherapy. Really? Yeah, and he filmed this whole thing on a flip cam. So he lived in Philly and had to like go to California to smuggle this cannabis oil. And they filmed the whole thing on a flip cam. Um, so wow. the, the kid's five years old now, completely healthy. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg is our executive producer. Um, and we played a Tribeca. It's, a, it's an hour and a half movie about this story of this family who... Like, I don't smoke pot. You know, to me, it wasn't a pot story. It was what a father would do to save his son. Sure. My son's three years old. Also, I, you know. I, I don't smoke pot either, but yeah. there's a lot of merit to the cancer, uh, to the weed we're curing cancer yeah, mentality. We're interviewing, uh, we interviewed doctors from Harvard and uh, Jefferson and Philadelphia. Like, it all started as, as palliative care. It's like, okay, well, they need an appetite. Let's let's give them a little bit. And the, the stuff that this kid's taking is 20 to 1, meaning there's 20 CBD to 1 THC. THC is the thing that gets you high. So the kid's not getting high, you know. You just they they call it the entourage effect. You need a little bit of THC to really pump the CBD, and so it was. They, they you started this stuff with powder to get the appetite going, you know. Uh, but what the doctors have started to see that it's actually been able to help start fighting cancer. They're way too early to figure out. Hey, let's wave the flag. This cures cancer, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. But they're they're waking up and starting to to see the hope that a lot of these stories tell. What? Um, how do you get involved with Whoopi Goldberg for that? You know, I we whenever like so when we did I Am Santa Claus, we we had Mick Foley in the movie, right? Mm -hmm. And we knew we needed someone to help uh, bring some sort of prestige to the movie. You know, like I just didn't want it to be like, oh, it's Santa Claus and a wrestler. Well, I'm not gonna watch this. So right. it's like you you had Morgan Spurlock to kind of add that element of, hey, he's a real guy. You know, did he was he in the movie or he just executive producer? producer gotcha. You know, so same sort of thing with was Waldo on weed. Here's this family from Philadelphia that no one knows, you know, and it's our job to make them care about them. So who is someone that, you know, has a high level of like um, prestige, but also has done documentaries, has is a, uh, aware of the cannabis, um, what cannabis can do right. for people. Yeah. So we reached out to Whoopi Goldberg. We're, we're up by the same sort of one eight hundred number. Or? <laughs> yeah, I called her one eight hundred number. She got back to me, uh, but no, it was it was we knew some of the same people, and she was able to watch the movie. And she gave notes and really helped sculpt it. Like the way the movie originally started was chemotherapy day one, and it was like because like, like I'm kind of like a punk rock kind of guy where I just wanted like ah get you you know. Uh, she was like, this is not the way to start the movie. You know, you you really want to like understand who these people are fall in love with them for a little bit more before you see that chemotherapy. Right. And like, I fought it for a second because I was like, no, no, indie movies, indie, you know, uh, Quentin Tarantino, you like, you want to shock people, you know? 
But she was right. You know, you kind of had to like respect who these people were you know, before love, they- you or you are a lot like me where it's like, no, this is my vision. This is my vision. And then Whoopi Goldberg, <laughs> Oscar winner. He got, so, he got winner. He got, is she an EGOT? Yes. You better f- listen to it, man. <laughs> I did a battle of the bands that uh, uh, Westwood One asked, asked me to judge at the at the Troubadour. Yeah. At the Roxy. Sorry. Okay. And the judges were me, John Varvatos, and Desmond Child. Okay. And Desmond Child wrote Live in La Vida Loca. Nice. Uh, 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 living on a Prayer. You Give Love a Bad Name. Uh, Do Looks Like a Lady. And oh. I Was Made for Loving You. Uh, waking Up in Vegas. You name it. Sure. He's got like 100 top 10 hits. So uh, we were watching the one band, and I was like, oh, he's really good, but you guys need better hooks in your chorus. I'm not really hearing a good hook. Uh, thanks, Chris. Desmond, uh, I think your songwriting is brilliant. Uh, super <laughs> catchy. And I was like, well, when the greatest songwriter of all time tells you you're catchy, don't listen to the f- I have to say anymore. <laughs> yeah. I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When Movie Goldberg tells you to start it a different way, yeah. you should probably listen. But, like, you know, I would still show it to some of my, like, indie friends like, who made indie docs, and they they saw what I was trying to do, and like, I liked it. But, like, but I'm not trying to reach... Like, you're already asking someone to watch some painful stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, here's a family that you don't aren't aware of, a six-month-old going through cancer, uh, like chemotherapy. Yeah. So why test them even more? So yeah, I was like, you know what? She knows how to speak to a mainstream audience. You, know? you just said it right there. As a punk rock indie filmmaker, it's great. But you, as a filmmaker, as an artist, you probably want as many people to watch it as possible. But And there's but, a time and a place, right. too. You know, like... Like, uh, you know, maybe if I was a, writing a scripted movie and it's like, oh, I want I want this to be indie. I want this to be a little edgy. Sure. But when your content is so edgy and so hard and difficult. With a child. Yeah. Right? You're like, yeah. let's just make this as easy as possible. Right. <laughs> so what um, what other ideas do you have? Well, I, you know, uh, I'm not. I think Brian Gerwitz might have mentioned this to you. I'm not trying to put you on. You can cut this out. He's going to kill you. It's Gerwitz. Gerwitz. Sorry, sorry. Gerwitz. Uh, yeah. You better he, say it right. Yeah. Well, he he actually yelled at me because I spelled it wrong too. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I think he's already told me about this. Yeah. So, so I know what it is, but I yeah. think it's cool to say. Yeah. Well, we're we're working on trying to do an Andy Coffin versus Jerry Lawler uh, documentary. Uh, Which, by the way, I can't believe has never been done before. Well, Such a brilliant story, especially they, with the king still alive to tell the story. Oh, he's the he best. nails it, man. Yeah. Well, because we, we work with him on I Am Santa Claus, you know, uh, and he's just amazing, you know. But, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to do it right. We're pitching it out to see if we can do it like a proper way, you know. Um, so hopefully this movie goes and works out. But, you know, the, the, move, the, the story of Andy Kaufman and Jerry Lawler has always been like they kept the kayfabe, you know, like. But they never really showed what really went into it, you know? And I think that's what I want to do. I'm a huge Andy Kaufman fan, huge wrestling fan. And I was, you know, talk about trying to put you in there too because you're a perfect example of like you and The Rock where it's like you're the opposite of Jerry, uh, uh, of Andy Kaufman where it's like you went from wrestling to, mm-hmm. you know, musician or or movie TV person. I mean, you and, um, oh, uh, Will, uh, Will Forte's movie. Oh, McGruber. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. You were so good in that. Yeah, it was all uh, improv, that scene. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's so good. To, like, the, the way they built that up. Well, just they built so, it up. Are you talking about MacGruber? Yeah, about, MacGruber. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's funny, because when they made that movie, uh, Yorma Tacon, who's the director, said, this is not going to be a big hit, but it's going to live on for years. It's a classic. <laughs> he was right. Yeah. People well, comment to that. That's what's the, John Mayer's favorite movie. It's the second time he got mentioned in this podcast is McGruber. That's so funny. So ridiculous, right? Yeah, but but yeah, but the, so, um, um, so, but you're the opposite in that stuff. And I think, you know, there's a couple of interviews of wrestlers that I would like to talk to in the movie to kind of talk about that angle. Because a lot of people think that when Jerry Lawler and Andy Kaufman went on Late Show, 
late night with David Letterman, that was the begin. That was the end of the the angle, but it was the very very beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Jerry Lawler threw fire in Andy Kaufman's face. This is a taxi yes. huge star in yes. 1983. You know, you know, it, it's it, it's like a. It's like if David Arquette was a bigger star yeah. with the stuff he's putting himself through right now to prove that he really loves the business, which he does. Much yeah. respect, but yeah. that's what Kaufman was doing. Think about how much money Kaufman was making and how his his managers must have been, they threw what at you? <laughs> Fire? Are you crazy? <laughs> well, I mean, like, it's just so ridiculous. Like, he, Taxi, during 1982 or 83, like, there's no bigger television. There's no that television yeah. ratings and that television money does not exist no, now. Right, right. You know, and for him just to go, you know, it, it was before WrestleMania. You know, like before Mr. T, before Cindy Lauper, like Jerry Lawler and Andy Kaufman were WrestleMania before WrestleMania. They were sports entertainment. Before. And you know that they originally took that idea to Vince Senior. Oh yeah, and, and he said no. Said no. I don't work with actors. You yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other thing that I had always heard too, just more recently, is that Letterman knew that was going to happen. So that's so funny because like Jerry. You talk to him, and he's yeah. like, he didn't know, right. you know. But like, we're talking to David Letterman's people, like he knew, you know. If you can get Letterman on there, that's huge. I'm sure. I'm, is, I'm sure yeah. he would do it. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, we're working with Seven Bucks, and uh, you know, hopefully the stuff is easy to talk. It good to talk about. But like, yeah, we're working with David Letterman and The Rock. So it's like, here's the the, the world of wrestling and the world of comedy, and just mm. talking about the influence. Like, you just watch if you watch David Letterman's show on Netflix independently. Ellen DeGeneres and Kanye West talked about how Andy Kaufman was an influence to them. Like, you talk about Andy Kaufman just bringing, like, uh, trying to bring a, a rise out of people, even mm-hmm. a negative rise. Mm-hmm. Kanye West saw that and was like, you can do that? Mm-hmm. You know, and that, and look look at the way Kanye West is. Look at the way Donald Trump is. Like, it's all Andy Kaufman, you know? The, the original Fozzie documentary where we were we were playing the, the alternate characters, Moon Goose McQueen, yeah. where I would literally go into... I remember I went into Opie and Anthony as Moon Goose McQueen, and they could not shake me. And I was like, this is total Tony Clifton, Andy Kaufman. Oh, man, isn't it And great? I remember saying that to Vince when I was doing something on Sunday Night, Main Event, or Sunday Night Heat. Uh-huh. And I was saying, you know, I'm, I'm never going to break the character. He goes, you have to. I said, well, I'm, I'm not going to. It's like, this is Andy Kaufman and Tony Clifton. He goes, no one knows who Tony Clifton is. I'm like, yes, they do. And I'm not breaking character because this is the way I'm doing it. it. That was such an influence for me, though, because I just loved... How he, he he just his whole life was booking angles for himself against the world. So I just had lunch with George Shapiro, which is Andy Kaufman's manager, right? And he talked about the story and, and Tony Clifton sometimes. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, he talked about how Andy didn't want to be on Taxi, right? So George had to do this thing. He goes, "I'll do Taxi if they put Tony Clifton on four episodes." You know, so George Shapiro had a negotiated deal with Andy Coffin and Tony Clifton, both different pay rates, you know, because Andy Coffin's more popular. And and uh, so when when Tony Clifton's time to be in the, the show, he was supposed to be Dan DeVito's brother. Um, he showed up drunk uh, to hookers, kind of like the, in the scene of Man on the Moon, you know, and uh, they wanted to fire him. But in the contract, it said if they fire him, Andy can leave the show, you know. So they said, you know, George is like, look, they really want to fire him. What do you think? He's like, they could fire Tony, but they have to do it in front of everyone. And of course, he makes a big deal. Uh, security has to come in and take. What are you talking about? Yeah. Fire, fire me. Exactly. Andy Coffin is Tony Clifton. He's being pulled out. LA Times are taking pictures. 
they met up afterwards, like a bank heist, you know? And like, and Andy Kaufman's like, this is the greatest moment of my life. You know, like that is how heal. How insane. Heal, heal, heal. How insane is it that people actually went along with it? You know, it's like, hey, Kaufman, get the hell out of here. Yeah. But George Shapiro is Jerry, Jerry Seinfeld's manager. Like, they're like this guy is like a re, he reps. Carl Shapiro Reiner. reps. Yeah, he reps Seinfeld. Too, He's a right? real manager. Jeez, <laughs> man. You know that's so crazy. I must say, I love that old school. I mean, it is old school Hollywood because you're never going to get that again. No. That he was able to do that and basically get away with it. You know, um, just the genius of that. And then to go into Memphis, like if he went to New York and did it, it wouldn't have been the same. Right. But like going to Memphis and tell, calling everyone Hicks and the well, use of soap. Yeah. Oh my God. It worked. Yeah. I mean, Jerry and him were able to create gold. And like so much, so many people just think it's that Letterman appearance. Mm. And like, so the documentary we want to do is kind of show who Andy Coffin is. I mean, this guy used to go up on stage at the improv and just fall asleep on stage. And that was his show. <laughs> you know, like, like I just love the bad guy wrestler part of it. Like I used to be in a comedy rap group, like really bad, you know, uh, and we played a show in Atlantic City and one person didn't like our one song. So we played it five times in a row. You know, like I love, Kaufman, yeah. yeah, I love the heel. I love the bad guy stuff. And so much of what Andy's act was, was his love and uh, respect for wrestling. Did you ever watch uh, Jim and Andy, the documentary? Yeah, yeah. That was like, Carrie's just crazy too. Yeah, well, I mean, that's so... So a lot of the stuff we talk about with in the Bill Murray stories is Bill Murray is like the intro class to sort of like your ego and living in the moment and being present. And Jim Carrey is kind of the advanced class in that like he kind of speaks in a language that you have to kind of do a little bit of study before you really fully understand Very it. Smart, yeah. You know, like, cause like J Jim Carrey is like, he's really, really smart. And some people dismiss him as like crazy where he's talking about like ego and all that sort of stuff. But like, he's really on to like really good stuff. Like he has this amazing quote that says, um, I wish everyone could be rich and famous so they know it's not the answer. Mm. You know, and it's like, well, that's everything, man. Like, you know, like there's there's no one thing that's going to solve life's misery, <laughs> you know? And so I think Jim it and Andy... doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think I think uh, Jim and Andy was a fantastic movie about Jim playing Andy Kaufman. Mm. Uh, I mean, a little bit was an example of, like, how far can I be a jerk-off, you know? Mm. <laughs> and how he recreated the whole thing where Jerry Pyle drove him and he had to leave set with the neck brace. Yeah, and but even, like, Jerry's like... This isn't how me and Andy talked. <laughs> like, I know, I know. Yeah. But then Carrie's mind it was because I remember even hearing that, you know, Jim yeah. Carrey with neck injury and, you know, the whole thing that they, they did. it. But uh, just as we wind down here, bring it back to Bill Murray. So with all of this, the uh, all of these stories and all of this stuff, I mean, what do you think? Do you think this builds upon Bill Murray's legacy in the later stages of his life? Do you think it's made him a bigger star amongst a certain uh, population? Well, see, like, like I'm in my late 30s, you know, like yeah. I know a Bill as Ghostbusters, you know, and then, I'm sure there's a, a generation behind me or, or a couple years behind me or like know him as like Stripes. the guy. Or no, or, yeah, or even that. Or behind or, you. Uh, sorry, yeah, behind me, meaning like uh, a lot of the uh, Rushmore and all those yeah, sort of Wes movies. Anderson. Wes Anderson sure, movies. Sure. But I think there's a generation that's happening right now that only kind of knows Bill as this guy from the 80s that does weird things, right. you know? And I think the movie really speaks to that. It's like, okay, well, it's not just like a, an article you see online that's like, hey, isn't this guy do weird things and isn't it fun? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like it yeah. shows that there's like an actual like life lesson to be learned from it, you know? And and I like doing that sort of stuff, you know, where it's and like- that's the, the tagline, life lessons learned from a mythical man. Yeah, that's it's great, true. That's a great tagline. Yeah, I mean, like it, it could just be a silly documentary, but we try to put the heart in there. And, you know, same thing with Santa, same thing but with this. that's what documentary is. Yeah. Like I said, to really get to the, the crux of it, it's not, like you said, it's not about- Bill Murray, or it's not about the, the heavy metal band Siren, or it's not about Santa. It's about the stories of why people do this and, and how it makes them feel alive to be a part of it. Yeah. You know? Well, when we first met, we talked about the greatest heel 
in ever is uh, Billy Mitchell in King, uh, King Kong, and yeah. that's a fantastic story. It's not yeah. about arcades game. It's about it's like you know a, like one guy who had a lot, and the other one who's trying to. It's just this big. One good versus evil. The system, know? yeah, good good versus evil. Yeah. Steve Weeby's the baby face and Billy Mitchell's the heel. What an amazing heel. <laughs> uh, a great heel. Even to this day, he still wears the same tie. Yeah, I follow him on Instagram. <laughs> I don't think I told you this. Was, uh, one time uh, I ordered uh, a case of his hot sauce yes. to send to Eli Roth and his brother Gabe Roth because we love that movie. And for some reason, Billy Mitchell, I guess he calls all his customers. And I was waiting to talk to Vince McMahon uh, and I got a call just as I was about to go in. It was Billy Mitchell. Hello, Chris. Thank you for buying my stuff. Vince will see you now. Uh, no. <laughs> I got Billy Mitchell on the line. <laughs> yeah. So uh, last two questions. What's your sure. favorite Bill Murray movie? And what's your favorite Bill Murray story? My favorite Bill Murray story is him doing the dishes in Scotland. You know, it's just like it was just some party in, uh, in St. Andrews. He kind of showed up and just saw that there was dirty dishes. It's like, don't worry, I'll do them. Like to me, that's like I can't imagine Brad Pitt or even like people like like a Tom Hanks or something like that who does do so, so weird things. Super cool, yeah, yeah. Like I just like it's just so Bill Murray. It's so random. I think random is always just so funny. The absurdity of. But once again, he comes from SC from I say SCTV because I'm Canadian. Second City background, yeah, which is always about the absurd, about absurd. absurd committing to something mm -hmm. and sticking with it. Because that's, oh, yeah. I remember when I was with the Groundlings, they said, don't try and be funny, just commit. Because yeah. commitment is funny. Yes. Trying to be funny is not, you know? I forgot you did the Groundlings. Yeah. I've, I wanted, I've been wanting to check a show out there. I haven't done that yet. It's great, man, Melrose. Yeah. Uh, my favorite Bill Murray story is when he, um, he goes to the party and uh, he takes over the DJ booth and he starts playing, he's DJing for 45 minutes at the party. I don't think I even know that one. It's in your story. It's in your movie. The DJ. He goes to a party and he's DJing the the. the, 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 the oh oh the, the the piano thing. No, where he's playing like Jesse's girl and he's like dancing and singing. Oh at the right, party. right 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 right. He was Sorry. DJing the party. Right? Yeah, yeah yeah. To me like the story music. is uh, the turn down for what uh, the little Wayne. He's like dancing with all the people. Yes. Yeah, but he was in charge of the music. You're right. You're in right. In my you're house, right. I'm I'm CJ the DJ, so I play the tunes. Gotcha gotcha. I'm not sitting up there like David Getter. Yeah like yeah. That. <laughs> that's that's what I was. That's, yeah, yeah, Sorry. He's, he's controlling the music at the party. Yeah. And getting people to dance and have a good time. Yeah. So it was really like it was kind of like dinner party music, and Bill was like, "No, we're gonna yeah, put some tunes on." Yeah, because like he just it was it was his birthday and someone else's birthday, and they they all kind of had this like fun celebration. But as the way Brett uh, the chef explains it, he's like the energy needed to be brought up, yeah. and Bill Murray was the guy who was gonna bring yeah, yeah, it up. Yeah, yeah. Fa favorite Bill Murray movie? I'm gonna guess, I'm gonna say Ghostbusters. Wow, uh, you know, because like I, I guess I'm the right age for that movie uh, where I just. Loved it, and then when it started getting re-released, I was like, "Oh, this is really, really funny!" Like, mm. I, as a kid, I loved the cartoon mm. and all that sort of stuff, so I fell in love with that. But I don't know, like, I mean, Lost in Translation is pretty great. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I have a soft spot for Ghostbusters. I'm gonna go with uh, What About Bob? Okay, I think just that whole movie, how, how it, you know, switches from Bill being the nutcase and Richard Dreyfus being the straight guy and switching completely to where Dreyfus is insane. There's some great stories. House. Yeah, there's some great stories of him giving Richard Dreyfus a really hard time. <laughs> really? Yeah. Give, give us those. Well, well he was, that. Like, he was just, he, I guess Richard Dreyfus might have been very serious. Very uptight. Yeah, yeah, and Bill doesn't like uptight people. Like, he, like, once, he doesn't, he, like, if executive people come, they can't wear suits. Like, they just, he'll just give that person a hard time or we won't even talk to that person. So I think he just riled him up to kind of really get that anger out of there. Like, I think that anger you're seeing for him is real. a little bit real. That's yeah. <laughs> it's not I, nowhere. I like the, the last story when uh, the guy at the comic con was it Mitch Glazer? Yeah, and to tell the story about Roadhouse. Yeah, yeah. So like, uh, so <laughs> Mitch Glazer's wife is in Roadhouse, and Kelly uh, Lynch. Oh yeah, and then she's uh, she has sex with uh, 
Patrick Swayze. Patrick Swayze she's, yeah. she's the leading lady, so her and Patrick are banging quite a few times. It's a great love scene. But and so Bill will call up Mitch Glazer. He's like, he's banging your wife again. You know, <laughs> yeah. like he was in China one time. Yeah, but then Patrick the brothers Swayze. call. You know, he's had like you know, three or four brothers. You know, like family's like nine people strong, and they'll call up all, and I was like, oh, he's Patrick Swayze's banging your wife right now, <laughs> like all in the middle of the night and stuff like that. Tommy, it's great talking to you, Thank man. You so and my much. biggest regret is we didn't get off our asses and do the Black Friday movie when we had a I chance. I know, right? Stupid technology. It, it would have been good, but it just we missed it by like five years. I'll think of something else. Yeah. C- cyber black market. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, man. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks to Tommy Avalon. You can see the Bill Murray stories, Life Lessons Learned from a Mythical Man on Netflix and Amazon. That's out now. Waldo on Weed is still in production, but coming soon. Find out its release date by following the movie on social media at Waldo on Weed on the Twitter. Uh, don't forget also, uh, uh, I Am Santa with Mick Foley. That's another great, great uh, movie to watch. And you can find Tommy on Twitter as well at Tommy Avalone. That's A-V-A-L-L-O-N-E-3. Go check it out. And make sure to check out Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager Part 2 on the Twitter at Chris Jericho. Uh, what is it? At Jericho underscore Cruise. We're 96% sold out. <laughs> it seems like every week we get a little bit closer as we are. Book your cabin now. You still got a chance. There's, I don't know, about 40 cabins left or so. There's still some good ones. Go check out ChrisJerichoCruise.com. If you want to come join with all in uh, all the fun on the ship, we are loaded down with talent. Ric Flair will be there. Woo! Uh, the NWO, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, X-Pac, Jake the Snake Roberts, Booker T doing his Hall of Fame podcast. Queen Charmel is going to be there. MVP is doing his one-man show. Uh, Brad Williams is the host. Vicky Guerrero is the special cruise director. Eddie's uh, and Vicky's daughter, Shaw, will be on the ship with her burlesque troupe, the Vaudettes. Chavo Guerrero Jr. will be there as well. It's a whole lot of Guerreros. Whole lot of Guerreros going on. Jack Slade is the keeper of the ice. Red Cup Jeff is the head bartender. Eric Bischoff and Conrad Thompson, 83 weeks live on the ship. At least I think so. I haven't heard anything since uh, Eric is now back with the WWE, but we'll find out, I guess. Uh, Fozzie is playing. We got a new song for you. It's in the works. It should be out very, very soon. Farewell to, Farewell to Fear is going to be there. Uh, Dark Sky Choir is going to be there. Rubik's Cube, Killer Queen, the greatest female queen cover band ever. The Dave Spivak Project, Jared James Nichols, Light the Torch, and Kick Axe. I did a great interview with Kick Axe for Talk is Jericho. It'll be coming out probably in a month or two. AEW is going to be there. Man, Kenny Omega, uh, The Young Bucks, Cody Rhodes, Hangman Page, MJF, who was amazing on Talk is Jericho a few weeks ago or earlier this week, whenever that was. Uh, Brandy Rhodes, Nyla Rose, man, so many. Dr. Britt Baker, Jungle Boy, and many, many more to be announced uh, later today. It's Friday. So uh, Beyond the Darkness is going to be doing uh, uh, ghost stories kind of on the ship. DDP doing yoga. How much more do you want? Come on, ChrisJerichoCruise.com. We don't want to leave you behind. Uh, you're getting down to the to the wire. So also getting down to the wire for Fozzie's next shows. Mick Nickelback and Fozzie, August 22nd and 24th. Uncasville in Atlantic City. Of course, Fozzie with Iron Maiden at the Bank of California Stadium, Los Angeles, September 14th. That is sold out, or so I've heard. September 5th, Denver, Colorado Springs, Grand Junction, Salt Lake City, Crystal Bay, Nevada, San Francisco, Sacramento, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, San Diego, Tempe, Arizona, Tucson, Arizona, El Paso, Texas, Dallas, Houston, Hattiesburg, Mississippi, Atlanta, Georgia. If you live in those towns, go to FozzyRock.com and check out all ticket information and all Fozzie VIP information you don't want to miss out on the best VIP in the business. We do a private show just for you. Hang out. Have a great time. Fozzyrock.com. All right. Coming up on Wednesday, Jack Slade returns for Band, the SummerSlam preview that the WWE does not want you to hear. And we've been warned by the WWE to be nice. So we'll do our best on that. So we'll see you then. Have a great, great weekend. Uh, stay hungry. Stay hard. Stay wet. Stay peace, love, hugs, all that great stuff. And a big yeah,
boy. And go check out the Bill Murray stories now.